and welcome back to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This is episode number 11. I'm Jonathan Williams and you're listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast, a podcast about property. If you've got an interest in property, buying, selling, renting or investing, then in the next 30 minutes we'll have something that floats your boat and lights your candle. What a week it's been. I woke up on Friday having completely forgotten about the Brexit vote and uh, somebody had to tell me that we were out. Could not believe it. I went to bed on the Thursday night thinking that was it, we were remaining and then I wake up on Friday and the Sturgeon Fish is already talking about Scotland coming out of the UK, Ireland uniting again and 52% of England lurching to the right. Could not believe it. Not really going to talk about too much about the the Brexit. Um, Maybe do something on the show next week about the potential implications on that. But I guess from a business point of view and the mortgage and uh, and property side of things, everybody will be thinking, you know, what's going to be happening with the interest rates? Uh, I was listening and watching, in fact, to one of the, the shows on the BBC And their concern is that if the pound continues to fall on the currency markets, then because Britain is so reliant upon imports, then if prices start to rise, then we're looking at an issue with regards to inflation. And as you probably all know, once we start getting inflation into the market, then we potentially could be looking at interest rate hikes that's the worst case scenario the best case scenario and it's probably not a best case scenario but if we dip back into recession then the government will be looking at more quantitative easing and there certainly has been talk around the traps of an interest rate coming down from the 0.5 percent down to a zero percent so interesting times ahead for for everybody on a personal point of view i have to say that um you know, there's going to be so much uncertainty uh, with regards to uh, business and property in general. And as far as the property market is concerned, uncertainty is something that really uh, is not good. I have to say that if I was an estate agent in, in London, then uh, I would have significant concerns because if the companies start to get jittery and start these investment houses start to think about relocating to uh, Central Europe, uh, then that is going to have a significant adverse effect as far as the London market is concerned. Is Scotland going to be affected so badly? Uh, I guess it depends what we're thinking about doing with regards to um, the referendum. Um, And I suppose Edinburgh is most likely to be affected along the same lines as the London scenario. If we're looking at uh, large financial players in Edinburgh deciding to relocate to mainland Europe uh, and there's a, a loss of jobs, etc., then that's clearly going to have an impact as far as the uh, the property side of things in Edinburgh is concerned. So that's really a perspective as far as the, the business and property is concerned. From a personal point of view, to me, the vote was certainly one not for the youngsters. You know, my kids are 12 and 14, 
and who knows, they may want to, to study abroad, they may want to work abroad. The implications of coming out of Europe uh, are dramatic as far as that is concerned and I do think that it, it certainly hasn't been a vote for for the youngsters and, and that's, I think, one of the most disappointing aspects from my point of view, uh, disappointing aspects as far as the sort of insular nature um, that it sort of gives off uh, a navel-gazing and an insular attitude um, and that's not something that that's it's personally comfortable with with me so listen let's let's move on let's park the brexit uh, uh, the exit out of europe and and let's move on to to what we're going to be talking about in this week's show well we've got an interview with ian williamson um, he's from Ivy Property. He runs an estate agency and letting business just off Clarence Drive in the West End of Glasgow. Um, the interview, well, we, we speak about how he started. There's a bit about mentoring and uh, he talks at some length about his new offering, which is going to be an online version of Ivy Property. Um, and at the end, there's a bit of a light-hearted 10 quick-fire questions interview probably lasts about 30 minutes or so so i tell you what grab yourself a coffee sit back and listening to a chat with ian williamson of ivy property okay jonathan williams back at the bricks and mortar podcast um we've already done one uh, interview this is the second interview and i'm uh, delighted to have ian williamson on the show with us this morning um, it's uh, Wednesday and it's eight o'clock and uh, we've still uh, got sleep in our eyes. So um, let's get started. Ian, great to have you on the show. Um, Ivy Property, um, you've been, I've known you for 10 years or so and back in the day I think it was Park Road Estate Agents. So, That's correct, yep. Um, tell me a wee bit more about the change from Park Road and then into Ivy because you're obviously running Ivy Estate Agents at the moment. Yes, yeah, so I was a valuer, a freelance valuer down in East Ayrshire for about 18 months before starting up uh, at a state agency within a lawyer's office in Park Road. All right. So that ran for the duration in which, well, until the solicitor there decided he was retiring. So at that point, I had an eye on a couple of offices in Highland, which was my preferred area to operate. Um, and I approached the landlord. They'd been sitting empty for a while, which is crazy to think now. Uh, but back in 2011, they'd been empty for three years. Um, just off Clarence Drive, so we managed to get in there. Um, I took on a partner who'd been a client. Um, she'd worked for Knight Frank Countrywide and then a, a building company called Regency. Her name's Christine Bremner. She came in and funded the relaunch and then partnered with me for two years. Um, and it's we basically doubled in turnover the first three years as we as we grew, and there, there's been no looking back. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned Christine there, um, and you mentioned that you were a valuer. Well, what about a mentor? Have you had anybody who's sort of uh, who showed you the ropes, and, and you keep sort of going back and, and getting uh, bits of advice from? Yes, there's a, a gentleman called Johnson, who's actually my wife's stepfather. He used to oh, be yeah. managing director of Slater Hogg um, back in the eighties into the nineties. I think so he's he's a chartered surveyor, and he's been great from the start. Um, when I opened Park Road he gave me at that point he was a developer he gave me six properties to sell in the right. first year okay. so basically backed me 
gave me guidance throughout that year, um, told me the what to do's and what nots and things to avoid and watch out for. I, I think it's absolutely vital to have somebody there who you can go back and speak to on a regular basis. I remember back in the day, um, as a young lawyer, um, the, the senior partner at the time, a guy called uh, Tony Deutsch, who's now I think a sheriff, um, he just used to, he was always great about giving advice and he was always prepared to give you the time and there was never, he never had any issue with regards to his time. And one of the best things he used to say to me was about asking questions and he said to me, he said, you're better to feel an idiot for 30 seconds than a fool for the rest of your life. And I thought, any time that I'm speaking to anybody, when I'm training anybody or mentoring anybody, I will say, listen, just keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. Um, the only caveat to that is that you don't want to be asking the same questions three or four times. That You do then appear <laughs> to become a bit of a, an idiot. Um, so that's good. So that's mentoring then. Um, you started off as a buyer, obviously employed by somebody, um, and then decided to go out on your own. Why did you decide to do that? Well, a, there is a bit of a, a story there. I was, I was operating down in East Ayrshire, and I have to say, I loved it, because it was in the boom time, it was 2006, I was meeting right. guys from Ireland at the airport at Presswick, driving across, showing them you know, from warehouses to plots of land to bakeries to all sorts of stuff. So they were just coming in, coming in on to the invest. Whim to invest. Yep. There was so much money in the, the Irish economy. Correct. So, so we were showing them all sorts of stuff. They wanted houses, they wanted plots, they wanted everything. So I had this incredibly varied start where I'd wake up in the morning, I'd look at my diary and I'd be like, right, okay, I'm, I'm at Presswick at 8.30, yeah. um, I'm at a bakery in Darville at <laughs> half past nine, um, I'm at a site in Kilmarnock City Centre right. at 11, um, and it was great, and then we, we actually ended up, during that time, also selling a site off plan, just across the road from your offices, here in behind... Um, you know, you're just just where Berkeley Street is, oh, right. there's yeah. a wee lane off beside the church, which is now yeah. an art centre. Yeah, no, um, yeah. And there's a full site in there, which has got access out of Dargyle Street, just to, to take shout, just at Fanny Trollops. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a full muse development in there, Fitzroy, Fitzroy Muse, it's called, right. uh, from memory. So there was that as well. There's ten units in there, so it's a new build G three off plan, which was so a, a great mixture. Uh-huh. Um, but I was working freelance, and I'd already bought my first flat in Yoker uh, with a 100% mortgage when I was about 22 and I was thinking about moving again so I thought I would approach them and say you know I'm happy to take a pay cut but can I go on the books because mm-hmm. I want to want to keep start moving again uh, but they weren't keen on that right so that, sl- that slightly irked me in that I was willing to bring their outgoings down you know for take a, a risk yeah take a risk mm-hmm. um, and, and get sort of involved in the company a bit more um but they weren't up for that. And then at, at, at the same time, my mum's husband, a guy, Ian Smith-Watson, who used to be with Hughes Dowdle, right. did a lot so of police, yeah, so used to do a lot of police federation work, um, he was opening a civil litigation office in Park Road. And so I went and I did the, the refit for him, I managed that. Um, and by the time we'd set him up with his, his office at the back, um, it was actually one of the Arnold Clark offices, Okay. Uh, sorry, showrooms. Yeah. So at the double doors, you could drive a mini in the, fr- the front door and the AC on the on the pave. So it's quite right. interesting. We did it all in this massive space at the front and one secretary sitting there. 
and I looked at it. It was too big. Too far too big. Two huge windows, three quarter height windows. A brilliant rat run coming up to the Lansdowne, um, uh-huh. up to Lansdowne Church. So I approached the company I was with and said, "Listen, I've got this great space in the West End. Um, I've spoken to him. It's my it's my mum's husband, so it's a soft call. Mm. Um, they're happy to give us the window space, and we could basically have a West End presence. Yes, and." For, for virtually nothing because he was happy just to have his window of course. populated yeah, yeah. and we were uh, negotiated sub-branding light boxes in the window it was a, you know, a, f- a fully formed idea ready mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. but the vision wasn't there to take, to take this opportunity they just said no they weren't interested right. and at that point I realised I was with the wrong company because uh-huh. uh, they weren't they were forward thinking um, so I very boldly um, went to Business Gateway and the Prince's Trust um, the Princess Trust gave me £5,000 as okay. a loan. Business Gateway, Gateway gave me a £1,000 startup grant and I opened, a, opened an estate. How old were you then? I was 24. 24? Yeah. Gee whiz. So it was at that point, I then also was just about to sell my flat. So I sold my flat and then had proceeds from that that helped working capital uh-huh. for the first year. But it, we really did take off very quickly, but obviously that was two thousand seven. Uh, everybody was doing everybody well then. Well, so I <laughs> thought it was extremely clever. Yeah. Uh, for easy about, game. About twelve months flicking through the Audi catalogue in in March of two thousand eight. Yeah. Which one will I have? What, what will I have? Um, and then June two thousand seven, just the phone stopped ringing. Yeah. And it was kind of like, whoa, what's happening here? As everybody everybody experienced. So we had to then. Re- rethink it all mm. look at what we could do mm-hmm. we were still selling things obviously but it was, a, it was a period of like three months we didn't sell a single thing God. Um, and then we start. we went into letting so basically took six months to try and go and understand that yeah. speak to a lot of different people get the right support uh-huh. around us and then organically grew it so I mean, we didn't go and buy a portfolio or you know, go and take on some somebody's, mm. somebody's. I, I think at that stage, for many estate agents, if you speak to them round about that time, there was so many, that was their saviour for a lot of estate agents getting into the letting game. Um, That's right, and I think we had a far more, I mean, I was, I was terrified of what had happened, so the fear, yeah. the fear drove me to go and learn it. Mm. Um, we didn't, a lot of, um, companies were playing at it by just renting out stock they couldn't sell, um, and they'd have five or six on the market. That, you know, five or six on their books that mm-hmm. they were managing, and you know, somebody that was in the office two days a week would be handling it, and it would just end up being a mess. Yeah. So we we just grew quite gradually until about two thousand and eleven. We had about sixty, and that's when we moved over to um, to Highland, and now we've got one hundred and twenty. Nice high value. That's good stock. So it's it's a it's a good um, model. Um, what about challenges? I mean, we've all faced, um, you know, certainly in, in my career as a solicitor and now mortgage broker, that there's always certain challenges that we face, and, and sometimes they they are the making of you. Is there anything that you can put your finger on to say, you know, that was a challenge, and I learned from that, um, and that's made me the man I am. <laughs> uh, well, I, th- I suppose the constant. I still have it that I go out, or when I was at Park Road, you'd go out and they would say, I've never heard of you. Yeah, who are you? But they've still phoned you and asked you to come out. Yeah, so you've got it. So something's intrigued them. Uh-huh. Um, 
And at that point, it's very much what you yourself... So you have to just sell yourself and say, listen, mm. I'm 25. Uh, my girlfriend hates me because I never go on holiday. I work all the time. Mm. I answer my phone all the time. Yeah. Sunday phones at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. They get a fright because I answer and tell them everything they need to know. Um, I think it's also important when you're trying to sell yourself is to, to strike up a rapport. I yeah. think that if you can strike up a rapport, and, and you guys are the best at that when you're going out to try and sell your services, you've probably got the best part of 10, 15 minutes to strike up some rapport. Because with the greatest respect, you know, you're an estate agent, they're expecting you to be able to sell your property. Mm-hmm. And you have to put something there that puts you outside everybody else so that they remember you. Um, I think that the security that people took from dealing with me at Park Road um, was that we had, you know, a local shop front that was there. um, And the amount of times that I got somebody that called me and said, listen, I've driven by at eight o'clock at night and you're still sitting there with the light on or I've seen you out doing viewings on a Saturday at four Mm o'clock or or a Sunday at three o'clock. So they've maybe been watching. So the more sort of conscientious homeowner seller right. has maybe been watching you they might have gone with one of the big boys but they said they've kind of watched and gone well he's out and about he's, he's, he's doing everything he should be doing and he's doing more let's give him a chance I'll at least meet him uh-huh. um, so there was there was that that kind of business we got and then things would obviously get lots of uh, referrals from a network as well so, mm-hmm. and that would all sort of perpetuate into, into other business okay what about sort of decisions? We've talked about challenges there. What about decisions that you've made that have been great decisions and maybe poor decisions? Obviously, moving away from Park Road and, and making the step to, to get into just off Clarence Drive where you currently are, that was a bold decision. Best decision that you've made, do you think? Definitely. I mean, the the platform we're on now and the location we're in, at, at, the, at the beginning... I really missed the earthiness of Park Road because it's it's got a, a, such great independent retailers around there. There's yeah. so many characters. And yeah, it's just yeah. a bit more rough and ready, uh-huh. and I fitted in quite well with that. <laughs> but um, you know, I can I fit in in Highland as well. You know, I live nearby. A bit of chameleon. Well, yes, as as we joked before, you you turned the tape on. Yes. Um, the, the, the island lilt in my accent does appear every now and then not that I'm trying to pull the wool <laughs> uh, it's, it always happens without, without me thinking but yes I, I enjoyed that earthiness of Park Road and I did crave it in the year that, that we were away from it yeah, the first year. Yeah. but the platform at Highland and I, I love our address at Lauderdale Gardens I think is mm. I think is great it's a great spot it is, and Highland train station is at the foot of the road so any meetings in town pop in there uh-huh. uh, pop down there and it's it's two stops it's, it's, it's a great place that's good that's good you, you, you're talking there about platforms and we've discussed you know your new venture and we'll, we'll come on to that you can have a, 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 a chat about that um, let's have a chat about bricks and mortar um, as against the online platform um, I know you're interested in getting into the online platform but do you think that bricks and mortar you know having something in the high street do you think that's still a necessity it's a definite necessity so we're you know I find myself in a slightly uh, not a compromised position but you know again as we were talk, discussing before before we went, we went live um, Ivy is a local estate agent yeah. run by a local guy me who's grown up in the area mm-hmm. knows the area 
and will be here for a long time. You know, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still only 34, I'm intend to be here for you know, another 20, 30 years um, and people will people can see us, they can walk in, they can catch us off guard, they can see how we how we behave, they can test us out and we're there if if they've got any concerns at any point or what we usually use that as a as a selling point is, you know, if somebody's been burnt in the past um, by an agency, I can always say, well, listen, we're right here. If should anything go wrong, mm. you can walk straight in, and I'll, I'll be sitting there. Yeah. Um, and you can speak to me straight away, and uh-huh. not hidden away somewhere where you can't get me on the phone or, or whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Um, but really, what what we're looking at at the moment is, Ivy as a mainstay is going to be here for a long time, and mm-hmm. I think I think core West Enders who are conscientious homeowners and sellers are always going to want to walk in and touch and feel. So they're, they're going to walk into my office, they're going to walk into my competitors' offices, which will be there for should be there forever, I'm sure. Mm. What we are looking at is is a hybrid concept where a second agency, which doesn't necessarily have an office that you walk into, mm-hmm. but is run by local experts and only operates in a core sense in a local area. Yeah. Um, and we want to target... This is a sub two fifty, uh, two hundred fifty thousand market. Okay. And and dealing still postcodes in the west, but mm-hmm. but certainly, um, much more than happy to to operate in the in the peripheral postcodes. Okay. Um, and and you've got a great level of experience because you were telling me earlier that you know you've lived in various parts of the city, and I think it's so important. You're talking there about expertise. That um, you know, as an estate agent, that's what the, the the your clients, the sellers, are looking for. They're looking for that expertise, um, and that's something I think that that Ivy and your new platform are able to offer. That's right. I mean, I, we, we were laughing. I was, you know, practically, um, you know, I was moving. I've I've moved. I've lived in so many places, um, and I know them well. Mm. And I've since I was since I've been twenty two. Well, I'm my fifth. I think I've moved every three years. Right. Um, but before that, um, just with moving around, my dad was in the police, um, I've, I've moved countless times. So mm-hmm. I've lived, literally lived all over the place yeah. um, around about Glasgow. So yes, I do have genuine knowledge out in Yoker, through Scotston, White Inch, Knightswood, um, and then obviously the core West End. I did most of my growing up in Jordan Hill. Yeah. Um, I come down from the Isle of Mull. We get into the Jordan Hill School uh, for secondary. Okay. Um, so did most of my most of my growing up there, um, but yes, I think it's important to genuinely know the area, and yes, that is something that we'll, we'll definitely bring. Good. You mentioned there about going into the offices and sort of almost catching you off guard. It certainly is something that I found when I'm speaking to stadiums, or in fact going to 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 try and get business from 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 referrals is to actually sit in somebody's office before the meeting, get there early, 10-15 minutes early and then just sit there and then you can see how they operate and it's amazing going to see, certainly the estate agents, it's very interesting to see how they actually operate there. It's almost as if you're a sort of spy in the cab and I've taken you know a great many um, negotiating um, Advice. Um, I've learned a fair amount from that. Just sitting there for the ten or fifteen, ten or fifteen minutes. You could also 
I think that's a great idea. You can also sense panic. You know, if you go into an office yes. and there's panic uh-huh. or there's a lack of control, then you'll feel it. Mm. And, yes. And, you know, some people want to try and appear busy and manic, but you know, that's only going to attract a certain number of clients. Uh-huh. People want to see that you're in control um, and that, yes, everything's getting done. And it is a fast-paced game now anyway, thank mm. goodness. Um but yes, I, I do think you can come in and if a place just seems a bit, you know, crazy, then that gives you a vibe to, of, as I to how they yes. operate. Yes, and from a client's perspective, are you really wanting to entrust the sale of your property to some some um, you know business like that? I, I fear not. Yeah. Um, so tell me the name of the... You, you've got a name now for the, the online yes. platform. Yes, so there's a, a sales agency being launched and a letting agency be, being launched and the estate agency is called Bars Road Estate Agents okay. and the letting company is Ashton Lane Letting and the partner I'm bringing in to head those up um, is a gentleman Tommy Reid yep. um, who is a chartered surveyor formerly of Spears Gumley, uh, Corum, Slater Hogg and Shepherds so he's been about 15 years in the business Okay, good, good um, We've, we've spoken a wee bit about the market. Market appears in the West End to be very strong. It's strong. We had a, we had a, a good year. Um, last year was great. It was just a, a, a battle for stock. Mm. Um, but we had some good, good high-value stock last year, so we had a good year. This year has been great as well, although I do feel in the last four weeks, we've been... I mean, the last, for instance, the last... Six weeks or so, so the last 10 properties we've listed, mm-hmm. nine of them have gone to closing within two weeks, wow. which is great. Yeah. But what, and we're delighted with that because we were almost talking slightly negatively at a meeting last week. But the closing dates haven't been as um, as mad as they, as they have been. So the clients haven't been achieving as, as high a percentage over the, the home report right. as they were so uh-huh. we're still getting the closing date but you're getting the odd person that's that's pulling out and you're landing up with three instead of four offers mm. um, so it's just a, a wee bit of the wind's just being pulled out of it yeah. but, um, but it's just still speaking to clients and saying listen you've still done really well here yeah um, uh, I think that's what you're trying to achieve, isn't it? Yeah. You're trying to get somewhere close to home report, if not over home report. And, and certainly if you're going to go to a closing date, then that's, I think, your expectation and also the client's expectation that you're going to get a nibble above above home report value. Correct. I mean, everything's going for home report. If you're getting a, a closing date, then you're definitely, you're definitely over it. Yeah. And most buyers are conditioned now that it is, it is five, between 5 and 10% uh, okay. over the home report, which is eye-watering because it's, you know, for everybody, it's cash going down over the uh, over the, the mm, threshold in which what, you can get it mortgaged. It's what they've got to find. That's Correct. the thing that continually astonishes, I think, some clients that they can't get a mortgage for the price that they've bought the property at, notwithstanding the fact that they've paid 15 grand over the valuation of the property. Correct. Um, and that can sometimes be a bit of a, a wake-up call for, uh, for many a client. It is difficult because although surveyors are completely independent in their valuations with some firms, um, some other agencies when instructing a home report, sometimes the, the home report can come back quite conservative. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's great for drumming up lots of interest, but for, for first-time buyers or even second-time buyers that don't have a lot, a lot of cash in their back pocket, it's difficult finding that element 
up and above. Mm. I mean, for instance, a flat we sold in Ferry Road at closing about two weeks ago, valued at one fifty and sold at one six four. So that person's you has to come up with fourteen thousand pounds um in order to buy it. But we have a lot of buyers coming up from down south who need this the system explained to them and usually yeah. the the first discussion is, Oh, your your system's so complicated up here, you know, how does it work? I say, Well, it, it isn't actually that complicated. It can appear complicated, but once you talk it through, it's not. So you've got an asking price, yes, which does confuse a lot of people mm. when we do have the valuation. Yeah. But the, the key thing about the home report, and it gets a lot of flack, some of the, the detail in it, you know, is it can be vague, but people have to remember it is, it's like going to your GP and asking for a health check. It's not, they'll say, oh, you might have a problem with your knee. Yeah. But they're not going to tell you that, that you're missing the cartilage on the left-hand side because... Uh-huh. Can't, they can't see from there yeah. so they might say you need to get a specialist to look at that so that is generally what it is I would say it's a, it's a GP health check yeah. it's not a, a surgeon's assessment I like that that's a good analogy I've never heard anybody sort of talk about the home report like that so well, it's not, I might it's, use it's, that it's not for me to defend the home report but um, I sometimes feel myself doing it because uh-huh. I, I think that having that figure there let's take that 150 at Ferry Road yeah. that is what a charter surveyor values it at in the current market mm-hmm. and based on that that is what a lender will lend you yeah. uh, lend up to so if you pay £14,000 more than that you have it's great to know that you've paid £14,000 more than that mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. means you need to own it for five years um, at last before the, years. the market catches up correct whereas yeah. in the old system or down south you've, you've not really got any idea whether you've paid over the odds I mean Back in before the home report, you'd go out to see, or you know, just as the thing as, as the economy crashed, for this, actually just after the home report, uh-huh. you'd speak to somebody who'd paid a whack for something in the past. Yeah, and because we didn't have all these online, uh, all these websites the showing us all, all the comparables for yeah. house prices. I mean, net house prices only came only came out in two thousand and six uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know that for certain, but that, that kind of region of time. So you would, you would be speaking to people and some somebody would get a terrible fright that they'd paid like sixty or seventy thousand pounds more for their flat yeah, than yeah. the person next door at roughly the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. So they didn't have that transparency no. that we have now. Okay. Um, so I do I do think it's a good threshold standing point to know at which you've paid over or mm, under. Definitely. Okay. Um let's talk about tips. Um buying and selling. Um What's your best selling tip? Best selling tip, as in for a seller yes. who has a house. Uh, yeah. I well, we certainly would always advise that if there's anything that you've thought about doing to the house prior to going to the market, you should do it. Right. And people would argue that yes, you do have a second chance, but I don't like doing the second chance route. I would get the place looking. As best as, as, as best as it can. Uh-huh. Uh, we always use professional photography. Yeah. We'll always do a virtual tour. We'll also we'll always have detailed floor plans that show kitchen layouts. So the place just needs to look its best from the start and go for it. Because if you don't, and there's something that you were going to do, if you're three weeks in, and the agent's sending, you know, ten people a week through to see it, uh-huh. and nobody wants it. Yeah you'll instantly be thinking, crikey, was it to do with that? Whereas if it sells in two weeks, you'll never know whether it would have sold without you doing it. But yeah. Who, but who yeah, cares? Yeah. Um, so yes, I would always just get it right from the start because doing a, you know, doing a meeting four weeks in, 
deciding then to paint your hall white because you've painted it racing green seven years ago yeah. um, or putting spotlights in or up in mm. the wattage or mm. just getting the place if you've got a problem area or a problem zone within the building you, you've wasted two or three weeks correct and you're never going to get those people back and potentially the longer your property lies in the market the more likely it is to get stigmatised correct I mean the, the stigmatisation is a good point that was a big thing before the recession there was less Throughout the recession, it was there was almost no stigma. You could have stuff on for mm. six months, um, but everybody was in the same boat, uh-huh. um, so it, it was more acceptable. But yes, you do lose that that first exposure, which is so important. Yeah. Um, I mean, you land up then, you're taking something off, you'd, you'd have to take something off the market, relaunch it so that it goes fresh onto all the portals. And um, clients are smart. They yeah. know, they track properties. And they, they, the, the first question I would ask, or I would get my client to ask as a buyer, is, so well, why was that taken off the market for two weeks? What's wrong with it? Correct. And, and if you and say, that's the last thing you want. And if you say, oh, we painted the, the hall white and put 100 watts instead of 50 watt spots in, and they say, well, I could have done that. Uh-huh. But if they'd seen it in the first place, that sort of bright impression as they come in yeah. just starts them off on a positive I remember we sold our place at the Donald Road, um, I think just before the crash, and it was looking a bit tired and I was tasked to paint the whole place and painted the whole place and it was looking absolutely stunning and my wife turned to me and said, why the bloody hell are we selling the place? (laughs) We've we've lived in in the house and don't get me wrong, it was a lovely, lovely property, um, but it was tired. Um, and you just think, well, I, I guess to a certain extent, you live in a property and you you just live in it and you don't, you never sort of got an eye, certainly I've never had an eye of, of selling it. It's only when you decide to sell it, you think, you know what, I better tart the place up and, and give it a lick of paint. And then you actually fall in love with it again. And there's always that question as to, you know, do we really need to sell it? Do we want to sell it? That's the perfect journey. So you've already made your decision based on other reasons to yeah. move. And then you prepare it for its sale. Uh-huh. And then you should be so pleased with it that you question yourself. But at that point, you have to just say, no, it's for this reason, this mm-hmm. reason, this mm-hmm. reason. But isn't it great that it looks so smashed? Yeah. And somebody's going to come in and say, oh, great. I mean, there's nothing worse than you having a great property, uh-huh. but Let down the, ba- you know, the, the bathroom's just completely knackered. So uh-huh. everybody's going to pin you down on that and say, well, I can't yeah. really move in here because you've been living with this... It almost highlights the, the, the bad areas because uh-huh. the rest of the area is great, but, and, and that's the last thing I guess as an estate agent you want is the but. Yes, and I think that there's a, always a dilemma if you go into a place that's generally tired. Mm-hmm. People say, should we do anything? Sometimes my advice will be, no, just leave it as is because yeah. it's, it's uniform and somebody yeah. will come in and see it for what it is. Uh-huh. Um, because if you if you paint the lounge, the, the rest of the place is going to look you know, become from average down to dire potentially. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a place which is generally good slash great uh-huh. throughout, and you've got this one problem area, you need to sort that because then what you've got is a fully fledged good product. Yeah. Good um, to run. Which is which is going to have more people interested in it and hopefully get you a closing. Okay. And what about buying? What would it be if you're acting for the purchaser and you're trying to get the seller nailed nailed down to the best price possible? What what Tactic. It's it's very difficult. I mean, I would I would take take a step back and almost when you're searching for properties, try and see the value in something that nobody else does. Hmm. Um, so I mean, if if something does need something done to it, 
and it's it's not it's not getting the same activity as something that's ready to go. You know, ha- have a real think about doing the work. Yeah. Um, because you might be able to even once you tally that all up against what your development cost will be, you should still be a uh, in in the same position or better. B, you might not have to compete to get it. Um, in the same way. Yeah. So it could end up being a far better, a far better project. But I mean, nailing people down on price, it's difficult. The main thing you can do is, is just push how strong your client is and your confidence in them. And yeah. The fact that they're that they're going to complete. Yeah. They've um, got the mortgage in place. They've got the mortgage. We, you know, we've dealt. You know, ideally, you've dealt with them in the past, and you're able to to let them know that they've had, you know, a string of successes, and they've they've always done the right thing. Yeah. And that they're t- and almost. You'll push the fact that they're almost taking a risk by not taking the security of your client um, because you know them to be good. Yeah. Because um, there are most things, nine out of ten deals go through. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how other agencies are getting on, but we certainly feel that nine out of ten are going through. Okay. Because uh, mortgages seem to be uh, f- far easier, far faster than they were um, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Which is a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, um, listen, we're, we're going to wrap up now. Um, it's been great um, talking with you and I'm, I'm sure that there's so much more that we can discuss about the buying and selling process and we'll, we'll need to get you back on. But the, the show itself is very much based upon a first-time buyer um, and so we've got a quick-fire 10 questions. So the whole idea about this is really not to think about it okay. and just give me your first answer. Sure. Okay, so here we go. First uh, 10 questions, first bus or taxi? Taxi. <laughs> first tee or football? Say again. First tee or football? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> A first film you went to see in the cinema? Care Bears. Care I'm not, right, We're not even going to discuss I'm, I'm, I'm that. I'm serious. It was, it was a mute end with my sister. Right. Uh, and my dad, and it was a long time ago. <laughs> first choice or self-catering? Self-catering. A first car? Volkswagen Polo. How much did you pay for it? Uh, very little because I virtually stole it from my mum, but it died about six months later. <laughs> First Blood or Rocky? Rocky. You like Rocky. Um, First Snog? First Snog. Crikey, what was his name? <laughs> First House? Uh, flat in Yoker, just at the corner of Burnham Road, Dumbarton Road. Okay. Um, first director, High Street. That's all about banking. A... Online or bricks and mortar? Well, I have to say online because I'm Santander and it's all online. Okay, good stuff. Listen, Ian, it's been great to have a chat with you and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Great, thanks, Jonathan. Okay, so that was the interview with Ian Williamson. I hope you enjoyed that. He certainly um, was a, a great guy to, to speak to and I'm sure over the coming months and years we'll have Ian on again just to give us a wee bit more about an insight into the property market in Glasgow and in particular the West End. If you've got any comments uh, about the interview, any questions or in fact just wanted to get in touch with Ian at Ivy then please drop me a line using the usual communication devices and methods. We've got a website, um, just type into Google the Bricks and Mortar podcast and you'll see that. 
That also gives you a link, last time I did it anyway, that also gives you a link into the podcast. It would be great to for you to subscribe through iTunes into the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Um, leave a comment on the iTunes website. That really helps us with our ranking there. And uh, the more um, comments and positive messages that you leave there, then that's all the better for the podcast. You can get me on the Twitter as jwilliams underscore bb and you can send me 145 characters. Try me on the email jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk and finally tell you a wee bit more about the Facebook page. Just type into the search bar on the top of Facebook Bricks and Mortar and you'll come up with the group We've got about 70 or 80 on the group, which is great. Um, what you'll get in joining the group is you'll get the blog, the weekly blog that comes out of the podcast, and also you'll get a link into iTunes and also into the SoundCloud so that you can just download the podcast from, from there. So as I say, I hope you enjoyed the interview there with Ian Williamson. I'm certainly on the lookout for more interviews. Uh, we've got uh, John Davidson has expressed uh, an interest in coming on to the show. John Davidson, he is one of the franchise holders and founders of the Corum Estate Agency, which is very much based in the west of Scotland. Um, we're on uh, we're in speaking terms with John Amalby. He's keen to come on to the show. John Amalby, well, if you know your 60-second makeovers, then you'll know who John Amalby is. He's one of the um, creative chaps on the show. So he's, again, expressed an interest to coming on to the show. Moving forward, and next week, I think we'll probably do uh, go back to the usual um, synopsis of the show. And I think I'll do a wee bit about alterations uh, may look at doing something on the effect of Brexit. This week we've got, uh, in the Williams household, it's been pretty busy. We've had Sports Day, so number one and number two have been competing at the uh, annual Sports Day. So uh, the good news is that they scooped some silverware. Um, both girls um, won various events, and it was really pleasing to see number one in the high jump pushing the bar further into uh, a, a new school record for her. And what was even more pleasing was that she managed to get a PB, so she pushed that up to, to 150, um, 1 metre 50. So really chuffed for her. She's worked awfully hard this year trying to improve on the high jump, so great to see that she's got those rewards. Um, and number two, well, she did awfully well. Uh, I say she won her uh, school um, the championship I suppose it is and uh, she pushed the bar as far as the high jump as well she set uh, another school record uh, interestingly she took the record from her sister so uh, no doubt she'll be jabbing away at her sister um, as she is wont to do seeing that she's taken that record and she's coming up fast on the heels and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if she ended up gobbling some of some of her records. And she also took down the 100-metre record. So great stuff there. Um, we've got the prize-giving, actual school prize-giving, so we're toddling along to that, I think, on Tuesday, and then it's all off for, for school and seven or eight weeks that they're off. The deck's finished, I'm pleased to say. Uh, I'm now just trying to work out what colour to paint the blasted thing. 
we've already gone through one set of um, of of stain um, shambolic uh, episodes going down to trying to get the the right color if you've ever ordered paint online uh, it, it's an absolute nightmare um, again looked at the color online looked absolutely fine um, when even went down to B&Q and looked at the colour uh, Boston Teak, I think, or Boston Mahogany, I can't remember what it was called, something with Boston in the name anyway, and it looked absolutely fine. So we did everything that we should have done, got it back, opened it up, and I'm telling you, it was the brown, it was just, well, it was the colour of brown, uh, and I'm not really going to say much more than that, but yes, it did look um, like the colour of brown and it was absolutely appalling so we ended up having to uh, get cheap, completely go left field and we've gone for something that's more sort of slate grey rather than anything to do with, with brown but uh, first coat's down and I guess next week that will be sorted out uh, we just need to have now some summer weather I'm going to sign off um, I'm going to have to try and get some exercise in in the next couple of days. I was out in the Skite on Friday. One of the girls was leaving from work and we ended up going down to Finiston for a few jars. Um, I'm not a big drinker, I have to say, and uh, Saturday was uh, spent mostly nursing a hangover. Um, tequila shots is never a good idea. Uh, at any time uh, and certainly not on a, on a Friday night we ended up going down to Finiston now there's a, a place that's dramatically changed over the last uh, I don't know two years or, or so um, previously Finiston an area in Glasgow where uh, for commercial premises it was just full of charity shops and um, and fruit shops and it was the last place you you would want to go. In fact, I remember back in my student days, there was an off-licence there. And back in the day when you, it was very difficult to buy any alcohol on a Sunday in Glasgow, it was one of the few places that had an alcohol licence to sell uh, alcohol from a, an off-sales, GG Brothers. And it was one of these off-sales where you went in and um, there was um, metal bars um in the uh, in in the in the shop, so you, you, there was a little grill, and you paid your money, and you got your carry out. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, Argyll Street, Finiston, um, there's no way that that's going to be gentrified. But uh, I tell you what, there's some cracking um, boozers down there, and uh, some super super restaurants, and it really is. It's taking the shine off um, the sort of pure West End, your Byes Road area, and uh, it now seems to be the place to be because it was absolutely jumping. There wasn't a pub nor a restaurant in there that wasn't absolutely jam-packed. So if you're in Glasgow and, and you're thinking of going to the West End, you might want to, to take a trip along Argyll Street and, uh, and Finiston because there's some good food there. Listen, I'm going to sign off now. Um, I'll, I'll catch you next week. I'm Jonathan Williams. You've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast, a sideways look at property. See you next week.